Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. Um, okay. <laughs> I was talking to a, a young man last night, and he said, I said, well, you know, how did you find the Upper Room? How'd you get here? And um, he said, oh, a bunch of people were telling me about it, and I kept thinking, that's overrated. And, uh, but I appreciate that. And I, I was laughing with him, and I thought, it is overrated. It's so overrated. <laughs> but you know what's not overrated? Is the presence of Jesus. It's not overrated at all. And so we've just decided, like, if we could just keep people in a place where they can meet him, it's why what we do all week long, if we can just keep people where they can meet him, then we win. Like, we can't fail. And so um, I'm just sitting there, I've been stewing on that conversation last night, thinking... You know, my whole life as I grew up in church, my dad was a preacher, my parents were missionaries, and the closer I get to any ministry, any church, any leader, really anything, any dream that I had, like the closer I get to achieving it, everything has come up short for me. Like the people that you see on YouTube, on stage, ministering to thousands, you get up close and you're like, Oh, man, you're a person. (laughs) Oh, man, you didn't know that you had them on a pedestal until you're face to face with them or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't matter what it, whatever, it, and then, you know, that always comes up short. It's always a disappointment. And I've seen people, like, it will derail them. You know, churches fall apart when a minister um, has moral failure. I don't even know, what is moral failure? Like, Jesus is our righteousness, and so someone falls into sin, well, they can get back up in Jesus. But we've put, our, we've put people somewhere that they don't belong I don't know why I'm talking, it's not my sermon, but I'm just saying, if you're, if you're here and you're in this house, come to look at him, come to learn about him, come to fix your gaze on him, and you will not be disappointed. He is the only thing that I've ever gotten close to, and the closer I get, the more undone I am by how perfect he actually is. He's perfect. Um... So draw close to him. And then the crazy thing that happens to you when you do that is then you love people from this, this overflow and they can mess up and they, can, they don't have to be perfect in front of you. They can just be people and you can just love them like they can love you. It's, it's, it's so liberating. If you're in your marriage and you're constantly disappointed or discouraged in your spouse, it could be that you have an expectation that you've placed on them that they just can't carry they just can't meet it they just can't make you happy and that's just true because he can and then when you get close to him and you find that place and then you can love them from this overflow of your heart and then you can just accept them as just a just a person you know just a person made in his image i want to talk to you about uh hardship today and suffering and yay (laughs) yay 
Um, you know, I, I haven't had a terrible wife. I'm 30. How old am I? Oh my gosh, I think I'm 36. Yes, that's right. Um, that was a weird moment. Uh, but I haven't had a terrible life, but I have gone through some hard things. There's a lot of you that have gone through way harder things than I have. But, but teaching on hardship will kind of make you reflect like, well, what hard things have I been through? And so I was just reviewing in my mind, um, you know, the first, first like really significant hard thing I can remember is I was uh, 14 and my parents told me they were going to get divorced. And they were, um, my dad was a preacher. We lived in a small town. And so that, that event was surrounded by um, a lot of rumors and drama and ugh. Um, and when you're 14, I don't know if we have any 14-year-olds in the house, but your emotions are, you, they run high. Your hormones are running high, and you don't have the ability to process life in a really adult way, complicated adult relationships. You don't ha- and so I was just devastated. I mean, I was devastated. And whatever that, whatever book someone wrote about how to how to handle um, getting a divorce when you have teenagers, my parents didn't read it. <laughs> I'm sure most people don't read it when they're going through a divorce. Um, and so that was the first hard thing I remember. I remember getting my heart broken. Um, I remember losing uh, near and dear ones. I remember. Not having money, <laughs> that's a hard thing. How many of you can relate? When money's short, it's hard. And I've, had, I've been short on money in all the different seasons of life as a kid, uh, as a single person, as a married person. Um, I can think of all kinds of different places. I can think of when we called our wedding off the day before, when 500 people were, received invitations to come to our wedding. And... Uh, that was hard. <laughs> um, and then I think of all the like, I think of starting a church when everyone thought we were crazy and we had no money and there weren't all of you sitting here. There was like five of us and, and, and that was hard. And um, I can think of just times when we struggle between the two of us, like in our marriage where it's just like, you could have a great marriage and then you could have like, like a few hard days together. And do you ever get in a place in your head where you're like, we're never gonna get out of this. This is terrible. We are stuck in this rut. I don't know how I'm gonna, how am I gonna endure this for the next 80 years or however long? And it's just, all it was was like two bad days. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I hate his guts or whatever it is. I love your guts. I love them. But I think you can all relate if you've been married for a minute. We've been married 10 years now. And um, yay! And we are very happily married, thank God. Um, but, but those are hard things. And then I think of little hard things. Just when we've got four kids, I've got a seven-year-old, five-year-old, two-year-old, and 10-month-old. And I can think of just the hard of like, 
I'm spent. I'm tired. I'm sleep deprived. You're whining. You're blah. Like, and then feeling, and then the like feelings that come on top of that, which are like, I'm a terrible mom. I I don't know how to do this. I stink at this. Look at them. Um, Those are other like forms of hardship. But so I wanted to just paint a little picture. And then like in this season of my life, there's hardships that are. I don't know how to explain them. There's hardships of people like leaving. There's hardships of people betraying you. There's hardships of being misunderstood. Your motives being questioned. Um, those are other hardships. And so I just think life. You know, I don't. I don't. Is Jane here, Truman? She. she Oh, she's teaching in Samuel School. I'm thinking of the things that she shared with me. She's like a spiritual mom to me. She's, I don't know how old she is, but she's gone through a lot more life than me. And so the hardships that different seasons of life take you through. I can remember being single and thinking I was never going to get married and thinking maybe this is the one and maybe the, and the complications of dealing with relationships. And so life is hard. There are a lot of hard things in life. And... I think one of the sweetest things about the Lord is how he walks with us in those hard things. And I do find that that's when his nearness is so real. Maybe not in the moment, but when you look back and you go, wow, look what, look what happened to me in that season. Like, I'm, I know some of your faces and I know your stories and I know that that's been true for you and you can relate. And so I, um, I really want to equip you. I really want you, maybe life is great right now, but guess what? Tomorrow, maybe it won't be, you know? Maybe you'll slice your finger while you're chopping a vegetable, and I'm not, no, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying that I want to equip you to walk with the Lord and to mature in the Lord when the hard things come. I mean, I, I, you know, none of us are None of us are being beheaded for our faith today. We're not being threatened. But those days, I want to prepare my children for those days. I don't know how far away those days are. I feel like somewhere deep in my spirit, like they're not that far away, but I don't know. But either way, we can learn to walk through hard things, the little things, and the really, 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 really hard things. So... Um, Jesus promised us <laughs> that we would have hard things. I keep making this joke, but I still think it's funny that no one ever stitched this on a pillow. Um, you know, for I know the plans I have for you. Like, the promises. But he says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So I want to talk to you about tribulation. I want to talk to you about hard stuff. I want to talk to you about suffering. And I want to talk to you about how to find that place where Jesus said, in me, you have peace. Take heart. I've overcome. I want to talk to you about how to find it in the middle of your stuff. So 
I'm going to take you on a little journey. I'm going to call it, we're going to go on a little like road trip, okay, in the word. And I'm just going to teach you, you all know me enough to know I love practical things. So now we're going to hop to John chapter 14. I really want you to follow along in your Bibles or phones or whatever you got. If you showed up today at 10 a.m., you showed up for a reason. I hope you're not just like punching your ticket. I want you to get what you came for. So I want you to learn in every way and eat in every way with your eyes, with your ears, with your hands. Like engage what the Lord is saying to you today. So have your Bible out. John chapter 14, Jesus says, this is the beginning. It's kind of the beginning. He just washed the disciples' feet. And so now he, like, starts on this, um, this monologue where he's explaining to them what's about to happen. So John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We're going to stop right there for a second. So, so we read at the end of this conversation, he says, in this world you will have tribulation which is like trouble, but this trouble is an inner agitation of your heart. It means to be like stirred up inwardly, like you know the feeling, being agitated, stirred up on the inside. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now look at verse two. In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. I love this. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to stop right there. So when Jesus is talking, you have to connect what he's saying with the things he says before and after it. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get agitated and stirred up on the inside. And I I don't see this as much of as, as as a command, as much as like a fatherly, like, don't worry. Have you ever had someone do that for you? Like, it's going to be okay. This gentle, like, what's about to happen is about to be really scary and crazy, but, like, it's going to be okay. And here's why. Verse 2. This is why you cannot let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. <coughs> if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for who? For who? And if he goes and prepares a place for you, he will come again and take you to himself, that we will be with him also. Now, so Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled, because I'm going to this place in my father's house where he's preparing a room for me and you. Now, is this one day in the like far off when we all meet him in the sky? Yes. But it's also right now. Right now. He's made a place. For you and me in the Father's house. And he wants you and I to be there with him. He wants you and I to be there with him. 
And, and Thomas says, well, how do we get there? Because it's like, I can't imagine how frustrating that is. How do we get there? I am the way. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> but he is the way. And, and us engaging with him when our hearts are tempted to feel agitated and stirred up and troubled, us engaging with Jesus, who's the way, will lead us to that destination that is our safe place, that is our refuge, that is our, like, where we find identity and wholeness and, like, I'm gonna be okay because I'm in the Father's house. So I wanna show you um, in the book of Romans how we're gonna, we're gonna get there. Okay, <clears throat> go to Romans chapter five. I told you we were gonna do a lot of Bible. Or if I didn't, now I'm telling you now. Now, put your finger there. When Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, at the end of that conversation, before he starts praying to the Father, when he says, in this world you will have tribulation, I wanna talk to you about that word because we're gonna find that word here in Romans 5 when it talks about suffering. It's the exact same word, just in English, they translated it different. But it's the same word, tribulation, suffering. So do you have that definition for me? Tribulation, this word, I want you to think of the idea, well, we'll just read it. The root meaning is narrow or compressed from which arises the figurative sense of straightened circumstances and hence affliction, distress, or tribulation. This is, an, this is another, um, keep going. Properly, pressure. Oh, go back, sorry. What constricts or rubs together, used of a narrow place that hems someone in. Tribulation, especially internal pressure that causes someone to feel confined, restricted, or without options. How many of you can relate to that feeling? Every situation that I described to you earlier, just my, the different hardships that I've gone through, that's the feeling. It's like I am pressed in, I am confined, I am stuck. And I think it's human nature to want out of that. It's like, and then how can I get out of this? And so we either, we, we, we might jet, we might run, we might shut down our heart, or we might find something to turn to that we escape. We might escape to alcohol, we might escape to food, we might escape, but, but we find ways to like deal with this feeling. Do you get what I'm saying? We find ways to like, I want out. I learned something about myself recently that I do that I didn't know. Someone gave me this, this word to use for it and I, I found it very appropriate. They called it self-hypnosis. So when I'm, when I'm feeling stuck, when I'm feeling uncomfortable, when I'm feeling like, I don't want to be in this situation. I like get, go into my head. Anybody else go into your head? Like some of us, we go into our head and we just, it's like no one can go into that space. I'm in there and you're not invited in. The Lord's not invited in. I'm just in my head 
And sometimes I'm like making friends with self-pity. I'm just agreeing with like, how sorry do I feel for myself right now? Um, Woe is me, nobody, no, no, no. So I'll go into my head. I thought self-hypnosis was such a good uh, way to describe how I escape when I'm in a tight place. Um, I I don't know what yours is. It could be your phone, it could be your TV, it could be shopping, it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be lust, it could be fantasy, it could be, I don't know what way you tend to want to escape. But I believe every time we feel that way, hear me, every time you feel pushed in, stuck, compressed. Ah. I believe with all my heart that those are always invitations for us to meet Jesus. And we go on this road. Can you put the road up for me? We go on this road, so we're in this tight place, but actually in reality, there's this place in the Father's house, which is probably a lot more glorious than that one. But... (laughs) There's this place in the Father's house that's wide open where you're not stuck and you're not confined. No, 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 no. You've got freedom. You've got perspective. You've got hope. You've got strength. You've got joy. You've got all of it. Access to all of it. And so every, every place, I want you to think of something in your world right now. Maybe life's pretty good, but maybe you have some situation that's like, ugh, I ugh. I feel stuck in this. I feel tight. I feel closed in. I feel like I don't like it. I want you to keep that. Just kind of keep that in your mind as we talk. So I want to teach you how to engage the Lord, how to engage Jesus when you're feeling that way so that when the temptation comes to want to escape, no, you, you can make every hard circumstance serve you. You really can. And even if, hear me, even if the hard place that you're in is your fault, a lot of times it is. Like, and I don't, don't I'm not saying to everyone, some things happen and, and by no stretch of the imagination or hard things all your fault but sometimes they are your fault but the answer can still be the same with one added step of you acknowledging before the Lord and maybe to someone else hey this is my fault that I'm in this spot like I did this to me. And so you just confess and you repent and you do this same process that I'm giving you today. It's not, you don't need to sit and pay penance. You don't need to wallow in your sin. You just, you just do that one step and you move forward. And it can still serve you. Because the Lord is such a redeemer. He's such a good father. And he wants you to succeed newsflash he wants life to he wants you to mature grow and thrive in life he wants you to be blessed and he wants you to be a blessing i know in like our religious world we're like are you sure are you sure yes i'm sure 
He wants you to prosper even in every way that your soul would prosper, that you would prosper in your marriage, that you would prosper in your job, that you would prosper in your friendships. And it was, it's unto his glory. Yeah, come on, That's so good. Okay, so I'm going to teach you how. Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access. Say access. By faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that... Here we go. This is our road. We're starting, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay. I like the word rejoice. And, and in fact, the last time I preached this, because I've, I've preached this before and Michael wanted me to do it again. And the last time I preached this, I used the word rejoice until I found out this week that it actually is not that word. Um, maybe some of your translations say we glory in our sufferings, or it's we boast. That's what it actually means. So let's put the definition of boast up here. Ta-da! It's coming. Okay. We rejoice in our sufferings, or we boast in them. What does this look like? It's not like, no, there's a definition to rejoice or to boast. I believe in you. Um, we, we, it's not like, I'm, my marriage is so terrible. I'm, I'm miserable. My job is terrible. That's not boasting in your suffering. Okay? That's not what it's saying. Here we go. I don't know who can pronounce that word, but... Properly, living with your head up high, boasting from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with a matter. So Jesus died and he rose, and when we were buried with him in baptism and rose again, and then we were seated where? In heavenly places, right? That's our reality. If you're in Christ, you're seated in heavenly places. Second Peter says that you have everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. He is for you and not against you. He, has, he is so excited to give you wisdom, to give you insight, to give you joy, to give you strength, to give you an overcoming spirit, to give you everything that you need in life. This is how we boast in our sufferings. We have this, this, am I still on? Oh yeah, okay. We have this vantage point that's different from the rest of the world. And our vantage point is that we've been given all these things and we're seated in him. No, no, not that like I'm so great and I have it together and I'm a great Christian and like everyone knows my job. No, it's that you boast. Paul says that no human being, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says no human being can boast in the presence of God. 
You and I, we cannot be here worshiping and boasting like, I'm so great. You can't boast. If his presence is truly there, you cannot boast in the presence of God. But you boast. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is what it looks like to boast in your suffering, in your tight place, in your like, I want out. It looks like, I thank you, Lord. Okay, let me use the marriage example. I thank you, God, that when we stood before you and we made covenant, there were not two parties making covenant. There were three. And I thank you, God, that you are a covenant-keeping God. And I thank you that you're going to teach us how to be husband and wife. You're going to teach us how to have intimacy. I thank you that you are for this marriage and not against it. I thank you that you're going to teach me how to lay down my life for my spouse. I thank you that you're going to teach me how to be intimate sexually with my spouse. I thank you that this is how you boast in your tight place. I thank you that you're going to teach me how to communicate. I think you're going to teach me how to forgive. I thank you that you're going to teach my spouse how to do these things. I thank you that my expectation is not on them getting it all figured out. My expectation is on you to do what you promised you would do. And so I just boast in my weakness today, Lord. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a wife. I don't know how to, but you do. You're so good at it, Lord. And so you don't focus. You, you, may, you may admit your weakness, but you don't focus on it. You focus on him. You don't fake strength. You don't fake having it together. You boast in who he is in this scenario for you. And listen, you, yay, Jesus. You do it, you do it out loud. You do it with your mouth. You do it with your pen. You do it with your singing. You do it in the kitchen when you're like, I want to lose my temper, but like, God, I love you so much. Thank you that you're my peace. You're my, like, someone taught me this recently. My voice is cracking. Someone taught me this recently that, that you can actually, as an act of sacrificial obedience, like worship in that place. And it's not, you're not faking it. So you go like, hey, I, Lord, I really, what I really want to do right now is feel sorry for myself. I really do. My flesh, I really just want to like say, you know what, Larissa, you have the right to be mad. You have the right to be frustrated and no one appreciates you. I really want to go there, Lord. But because your word says something different, I'm not going to go there. And I'm going to go, Lord, I love you and I bless you. And I I let those, instead of that, I'm going to worship and I'm going to let those emotions take me to that place. I'm not going to hide them. I'm not going to shove them away, but I'm going to like offer them as an act of obedience and worship because the... Our feelings are real, but there's a greater real, okay? And so we have to, this is one of the ways that we train and we mature is that we admit those emotions, but we don't let them win at the end of the day. When we line up with what he says that's bigger and greater and more real, and we submit to that, and eventually the feelings catch up. They really do. Okay, let's go back to our our road. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice or we boast in our tight places because we know that suffering or our tight places produce 
endurance. I want to unpack endurance for you. I was a long distance runner. And so I, um, I could sometimes gut something out. In fact, that's, that's all I ever did because I'm not that great of an athlete, but you can be a great long distance runner and not be a good athlete because it's just a mental game. of like, go, 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 go. <laughs> that's not what this is. That is not what this is. And that's how I always thought, that's what I always thought it said. It's not, it's not about clenching your teeth and grin and bear it and like white knuckling life. That's not what this endurance is. We're going to, we did this last night, we're going to do better today. <laughs> this, can we, can we put this definition up? Endurance or perseverance, some of your versions say, this Cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy, enduring patience, patient continuance. No doctrinal undertones attached to the term in the New Testament. It relate, get this, it relates simply to the continual and patient dependence of the Christian upon, is not your own strength. It's just depending on him. That's why I started off with like, if you've had an addiction and you've fallen, This is just going back to this place where you're depending on him. Where you're you're reminding yourself, the devil, your flesh, and the world. No, Jesus is my righteousness. I go back to that reality. It's like this. Ready? No, two hands, two hands. It's just this. It's like. (laughs) See, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. It's just this. Yeah, it's just, you can, I I enjoy that. This is just this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's just this leaning on him. It looks a lot more like surrender than it does like, I'm going to do this. It looks like surrender. It looks like leaning into him. It's like, in my weakness, you're strong. And the longer that I walk with the Lord, it's one of my favorite things that, I just get to be weak and he gets to be strong. Okay, let's move to our next word. Back to verse three. Not only that, but we boast in our tight places, knowing that those tight places produce endurance or patient dependence. And that patient dependence produces character. Let's talk about this word. Okay. In the ancient day, they had, they had people whose job it was to make the, make the money, make the coins. And so they would melt down the metal or the, the silver or the gold or whatever it was. They would melt it down. They would shape it and they would, they would form it. And, but so you can imagine there were a lot of people who would make it, but would shave off a little. And so they would sell it or trade it as if it were the real thing, but it really wasn't. So it didn't weigh the same as like the actual, we don't deal with that now because it's a dollar bill, right? But, but back then, something of value, it had to weigh the right weight. 
And so I read that like in Athens, there were like over 80 laws that were governing just exactly how to make the coins. And so there were certain money changers, certain men who were approved by the government. Like these ones, like they, they've got those initials behind their name or the stamp on their door that says, you can trust these guys to make the real coins. And so everyone knew like, I don't know if they stand, I don't know what they did, but this is what this root word is. It's called dokime or dokiman. That's what these men were called. And so if someone was reading this during that time when they read that letter, they would have been thinking, oh, oh, you mean the real thing. You know that these momentary and light afflictions that are producing in us this eternal weight of glory. So that when you and I go through a tight place and we rejoice in it and we keep leaning on Christ, we keep enduring in that place, then what comes out is this this weight, this like, oh. And it's one of the greatest gifts the Lord can give you is when you get to see, oh my gosh, what, what you've formed yourself in me. When you go through something or when, you, when we walk together and I see you go through a trial and, I, and, and we get to find out together, wow, look, Jesus has been formed. Do you feel the weight of that? you feel the weight of that life? And this is what walking with the Lord has like, this is what all those hardships, and every time, I mean, there are times when I did not turn to him, absolutely, but the times that I do what is formed in you. I was talking to a couple yesterday. They went through hell in their marriage, infidelity, and just awful, and, and now they're, they're doing awesome in the Lord. And they said, they said, I mean, we would do it again. And they're like, but we wouldn't. But, but for what it produced in them, the hardship, because they turned toward the Lord, the, what it produced in them was this real thing. They know Jesus and they know he's been formed inside of them. Okay, let's go back. I want you to think this is my goal for you. My goal for you is that every time from here on out, you go through a hard thing, that you'll remember some of these tools. You remember like, can you picture me in my kitchen? Like I wanna lose my temper, but instead I start worshiping. Instead I start boasting, thank you that you're patient. Thank you that you're a good father. Thank you that you know what you're doing. Thank you that you're not stressed out, even though I feel stressed out. Thank you that you're like, be equipped <laughs> today. Look at verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. There's so much more here. But this is what you find at the end of this road. You find this place where the love of the Father is poured into your heart. And the next time a hard thing comes at you, the next time you're faced with a tight place, you have a hope inside of you because you know. 
and you've been engaging with Jesus, the perfect one who is your strength, who is your source all along the way, and you find this place of hope. And then someone told me this quote yesterday, and I loved it. Maybe you've heard it before, but they said, um, the person with, uh, I might botch this, but the person with the greatest hope in the room will have the greatest influence. I love that song we were singing about violent hope. And I was thinking, man, when you have gone through something and then you meet someone and they're going through something, but when you've met Jesus in your something that you went through, you're full of hope. And so they're coming to you and they're like, my life, you know, whatever, your coworker or your sister or your whoever. And you're like, oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, I know what he wants to do for you. I know how he's gonna meet you in this. And that's a gift we can give to this desperate world outside. I was thinking, I wanna tell you one more story. Well, I've got a couple, maybe I'll tell you both, I don't know. Um, I remember when... um, Years ago when we started the upper room and we were working, I, we were working, Michael and I were both working, but then there became so much to do like pastorally and stuff that he decided to be full-time in ministry, but we didn't have any income from upper room at the time. We weren't taking an offering and um, he, and so I was supporting our family financially. I was working. And I became embittered about that. I'm just being honest. I became embittered about, I just started to feel bitter. And then we, start, we did start to take an offering. And um, I was thinking like, finally, like the weight of this and oh, and my income wasn't enough. So I was bitter because we were like hovering at zero or red. <laughs> and I would get bitter and I would point it at him. And then we did take an offering. (laughs) See how patient you are. Then we did take an offering and he comes to me and he's like, I feel like the Lord has told us um, that that we're supposed to bless the landlords of the place because we weren't paying rent as a church. And I was like, oh, So this bitterness began to just stew in me. And of course, like on the outside, I was pretending like that was great, but I was, and, and, then, and then I like do passive aggressive things and thank you, Lord. Uh, we've come a long way. So, so uh, one day my, my bitterness and passive aggressiveness had like reared its ugly head and we were desperate for, for counsel and help. And so we um, went to Truman and Jane's house I don't know. It was late at night. I don't know. And I couldn't wait for them to tell him how it was because woe is me and they were going to like, and to my utter dismay, they did not at all get on to him. It was like everything was pointed at me and I was like, oh, why did we come here? And... um (laughs) They, I remember Truman, I don't, I don't know if you remember, he said, well, Larissa, what is your cross to bear? I was like, what? 
Um, but we started talking about the finances. And I'm like, I, I took care of the, like I would send the bills in. And, and Jane said to me, she said, what I want you to do is I want you to get those bills, like the gas bill, the water bill, the whatever. And I want you to take them before the Lord. And I want you to, bear, I mean, she was so practical with me. She was like, take, I need, a, I need a paper. She was like, take them before the Lord and say, Lord, you said that you would provide. You said you would take care of us. And I am trusting you and looking to you. And I remove my expectation from Michael and I put it on you to like, you're gonna provide. And something, I began to do that. And, and I don't know why the like, that Jesus wanted to be that real, you know? I'm like, I'm holding my Atmos energy bill that has like a final payment notice or non, whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm so frustrated. And every time those kinds of things would come in the mail, I would just get more bitter at him and more frustrated with him. But in that moment, I began to look at for how now in hindsight, like it doesn't even, I don't even remember like what happened. I just know that he began to come through and he so honored that faith. This is what faith is. It's when we're, it's that boasting in him. That's what she was teaching me to very practically do. It's not just an ethereal like theology that we depend on him or look to him or trust him. No, he's like in the, He's on your Atmos energy bill. Like he's in it. But you can't just passively expect him to do things. We, we actively put our hope and our boast in him. We, this is faith. That's what faith, and it's said in the beginning of that verse in Romans, it says, it's by faith that we have access. And so I want to encourage you to let your faith have words. Let it have action. Let it, let, let it come out of your mouth. Boast in the Lord. Instead of giving, giving language and voice to all your frustration and your bitterness and your whatever it is and calling your mom or calling your sister or telling your coworker. No, what if you use the energy to boast in the Lord? So I want us to practice it. I want to call our worship team.